Hi, everyone. This is Catherine Adams and Elizabeth Wallace, and you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 399. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Believe it or not, we actually have a plan for 400, but we'll talk about that later. Yes. Yes. In the meantime, we're going to be discussing Welcome to Night Vale number 242, The New Branch. However, caveat... What we really want to talk about is we want to talk about the Oscar-nominated animated shorts because we got to watch all of them this past weekend. So we also want to talk about the whole Hugo Awards debacle, which just keeps getting worse the further you dig into it. So we are going to do a lightning-fast recap of the Night Vale episode. This does not mean it was a bad episode. It was a good episode. We're just really impatient. Yeah. So um, a new branch of the Night Vale Library has been open on the east side, and there are some people that are concerned about it. I like one person's comment about... It's kind of like building a hornet's nest in your dining room. I mean, it may seem like a good idea because hornets are cute, and then they go on to all the reasons why it's not a good idea. And I, I have to, Gracious. I have to agree with all of that because you know, librarians they be dangerous, and Tabika Flynn is not going to attend most of the opening ceremonies. No, yeah, and she said that she's seen enough of the horror, so she basically cut the ribbon for the ceremonies, and then proceeded to leave. But part of the ceremony was three of these middle school students were reading aloud their short stories that they wrote for class. And that was all going on right at the point when the librarians got out of their cages and attacked. And Cecil's like, no one could have seen this coming. (laughs) And they fought valiantly using switchblade knives that they made in their AP English class, but they were dragged away. So to the families of da-da-da-da-da-da, you know the drill. Yeah. And Cecil's wondering, you know, can we expect a hero? Should we expect a hero? And also, what's the weather like today? And so we go to the weather. <laughs> which was an instrumental, which we usually Yay! love. But it Yay. was mostly electric guitar, so it was fine. Yeah, we were talking while it was going on. It really did feel like a two or three minute intro to a song. At every point in the song, you expected the singer to start singing, and it never did. So it was nice, but it was just kind of odd. It's a little off-putting. But it was Carrying You Until My Feet Turned to Stone by Jonah Castelli. Once again, not a bad song, but it was just, we really kept expecting somebody to start singing. It's not like we wanted that. We just kept expecting it. Yeah. So we get back from the weather, and everything's fine, and the librarians are all in their cages, and Cecil wants to know if a hero arrived, and one did not. Three heroes arrived, and it was the middle school students who managed to fight their way free from the librarians and use all their combined skills to save the day. And somebody asked them if Tamika Flynn had been an inspiration, and their response was, who? (laughs) Poor Tamika, because somebody said, oh, I think it's that older lady who cut the ribbon, and Tamika's like... I'm right here, and I'm only 28, I think. and 23, actually, believe it or oh, not, which God, seems awfully young, even for Tamika Flynn, who was like a teenager when she became a hero. Yeah, yeah. Which makes sense, though. They did say that she saved everybody back in 2013, so yeah, it fits. And yeah. So, um, yeah, Tamika's sort of learning about how fame leaves pretty quickly, and she goes home and takes a deep breath and thinks about her feelings, and then she moves on, because mm-hmm. she's moved on from violence, and that's pretty cool. Yep, she's she's now a lawmaker and a leader, and violence was sometimes the answer, but it's not the only answer. Nope, nope. So the kids are all lined up to take selfies with the town, and 
everything seems to be fine. We have a brand new branch of uh, the public library in Nightvale, and the librarians are back in their cages. Yay. And we had a couple of fun bits like the Lost and Found. They mentioned that in the last episode, they talked about uh, the Florida Keys being lost, and they've actually been found. They're just off the coast of Sri Lanka, and Sri Lanka is prepared to ship them back, but they want Florida to pay for the shipping. So Florida set up a GoFundMe account for that. Yes, of course they did. Okay, so that's it for Night Vale. Haha. <laughs> so what we're going to talk about now is we got to talk about the Oscar-nominated shorts. I wanted to start this one out by saying, which was your least favorite? Um, well, they had those highly commended ones, and I thought the uh, the animation hip was kind of forgettable. Yeah, that's, once again, not bad, but very much a kind of a Chuck Jones-style animation with a very 60s vibe. But I got done watching it, and I'm like, was was the pool of possible nominees that shallow that that made it in? It wasn't bad. It's just didn't really do anything for me. No, I kind of liked the animation over the credits at the end better than the animation for the rest of the story. I mean, the story was just a cat jumping around singing about how hip he is with all kinds of metaphors and analogies and everything. But the the final credits were kind of like neon drawings. And at one point you see this whole array of cocktail glasses and then a pitcher comes through and pours out neon liquid and there's like neon ice cubes in it that instantly pop up to form the credits for whatever it was that they were announcing there. And I was kind of like, uh, hey, I want to see more of that. Yeah, that was cool. I like that. <laughs> okay, so I won't I won't mention which ones were our favorites. We're just going to go through them in order, because I think that's the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one was Our Uniform, which I'll be honest, I was late getting to the theater because I misremembered the time, so I missed like the first few minutes of that one. I don't even know that you missed that much, because you said you came in when they were doing a chant about down with America, down with uh, England, that sort of thing. There was really only a little bit where the narrator talked about how much she loves to travel because everybody is different and all the fabrics are different. And it had those, you know, those pants unrolling out and you see feet sticking through them, but then a drawing of the person that they're attached to is sort of superimposed over the, the pants. And it's just so many little neat innovations in this particular animation, like embroidery being the movement or a car going past buttons or someone marching up and down a tangled ribbon. It was just all very fabric-based. It was just so whimsical and pleasing, I thought. Yeah, that was fun. I did like it. But I, it wasn't my favorite out of the rest of them, nor was the next one which was Letter to a Pig, Mm -hmm. which was very emotional and very cool, but it has like a very experimental type of style in the animation. Mm -hmm. Extremely well done, but it's another one that, I don't know, the story was super, super powerful, but as a whole, it didn't quite get to me the way some of the other ones did. I did think the um, the animation was very striking. It was kind of like rotoscoped in some things, like you know the mouth or the eyes or maybe the hands, but everything else was black and white and contour line drawings. And sometimes you would see somebody and only like the curve of their shoulder and the top of their head would be animated, but there was still so much weight to it that you could see all of the the movement that was being suggested. And the story, 
I feel like I can't even explain what I think that the animator was going for without platitudes. Like, you know, mm-hmm. he's telling, you know, this old man is telling a story about having to hide from the Nazis in a pigsty and one pig just looking right at him and not raising the alarm or reacting like he wasn't allowed there. And it made him rethink, you know, what he had always been told that pigs were filthy, awful animals. But you can see this man has so much rage for his entire life that he now sees the Nazis as animals. And the whole story is this girl in the classroom that's hearing the story is thinking about her reaction to all this. And it's like, oh, you know, holding on to anger hurts yourself. And, you know, at some point, if you want peace, then somebody's just going to have to not respond to an atrocity and forgive. But it's not my generational trauma that they're talking about. So it's easy right. for me to say that. But yeah, it was right. it was very powerful. And I got kind of choked up at the end with a little little baby piglet. Yeah. I liked, you had mentioned that Nathan had said that this story hits a lot different right now with Israel attacking Gaza in order to destroy Hamas. Mm-hmm. And it's just, uh, I, yeah, it, it puts everything into a completely different context right now. And also as, you know, to white middle-aged women in the United States. I don't know that it's our story to tell. I don't think so. No, no. But yeah, yeah, definitely. I I recommend seeing it if you can, because it is that powerful. But yeah. So we get to the next one, which, uh, wait a minute. Do you want to talk about 95 senses or do you want to talk about pachyderm? Oh my God. Oh man. Each of them. Let's start with pachyderm, I think. Yeah, yeah. So the animation was beautiful on this one. Oh, yeah. Now, big old spoiler warnings on this one, because it took like a couple minutes of the story before I realized where the story was going. And even when I figured where the story was going, I kept on thinking, oh, that's... That's not what's happening here, is it? No, it isn't, right? I I thought for sure there was going to be a twist. I mean, it's obviously spoilers. This, you know, person talking about when she was a little girl staying with her grandpa and her grandma in this big house out in, you know, the woods somewhere. And you just focus more and more on her grandfather's hands, and on mm. his breathing, and it's just like, yeah. yeah, that is that is what happened. That that's you know she was obviously messed with, and she's tamped it all down with this memory of like leaning back and fading into the into the wallpaper, into the flowers of the yeah. wallpaper, and all this. And it's just beautiful animation, really hard to watch. I mean, you could feel everybody around you just kind of sitting very, very quietly, hoping that we weren't going to see something awful, which you don't, because no. the character's obviously disassociated from all of this, and she's just remembering being afraid without remembering the details. Yeah, it was... That was a really striking one. And you're right, the animation was gorgeous. Every single movement, her face, the expressions, it was really, really beautiful. Her going swimming in this lake at one point and all these other children just like popping up around her and then her sinking back down into the water. And I just, for some reason, I thought that was particularly beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But from the moment she says something like it in the bedroom at night, she can hear her grandfather's feet on the floorboards outside her door, and that's the alarm bells. You're like, what is he doing outside the door? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. So the next one, which I really liked, is 95 Senses, and 
I did not think I was going to like that one because it's all focused on this old man's face and he's got this very homey kind of country folksy way of talking about the senses. You know who the, the voice actor was? He played uh, Buster Scruggs and uh, all Del Mar oh, in no um, Oh, shoot. Oh, brother, where art thou? So, yeah. <sighs> no idea. I'll be darned. I might have liked it better if I had known that because I was just sitting there thinking, I don't know. I mean, it's just he's all talking about all these folksy types of things. And I'm thinking, I don't know how interesting this is. I was I was kind of irritated because this was the entry from the USA. And I was like, so, of course, they went for this folksy drawl kind of thing. Oh, my God. What are they telling the rest of the world about what it's like here? Oh, this one takes a turn. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about this. And I might actually post our little conversation we were having over Instant Messenger because... You get to this bit where he's talking about how because his father had poor hearing, he always listened to music really loud, and he feels that that damaged his hearing. And then he had this job at this auto repair place. But because of this incident, and you see him backing a car into another car, which happened apparently because he couldn't hear people yelling at him to stop, he got fired. And he felt this was really terrible and that he had had something stolen from him. So he says, so he set the place on fire and the audience all laughed because it comes out of nowhere. There was this burst of laughter from all around this girl like, ah, that's hilarious. What a great comedic turn. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Because then he just slowly says, it's, I swear, I promise, I had no idea the owner and his family lived above the shop. And what was it that you said in the conversation? Oh, my God. Yeah. And you could just feel that the air had been sucked out of the room when he said that. And he just said... I didn't know. I couldn't hear them. And you're just, I mean, oh. this whole, oh my God, it goes from folksy and whimsical to just dark. And then, because he had said, you know, he's going through all the different senses and he talks about his ears. And he said, my ears are why I'm here. And then when you hear him tell that story and then you realize, oh, he's in prison for murdering a family. Yeah. Oh my God. <sighs> and you know what? In the beginning you had actually seen a very quick image of a man sitting down and what looked like barred windows up in the top corner, and I completely disregarded it. I did, so, yeah, the yeah. whole time. And it was like it wasn't like it was uncomplicatedly folksy to begin with, because he's talking about you know, you know, your sense of smell that he associates vanilla with reading these kitty magazines because his grandmother would always take him every week to the hairdressers for like two hours while she had her hair done, and they had all the vanilla candles lit to hide the uh, smell of burning hair and he found like one magazine that he wanted to take with him so he rolled up and put it in his pocket and his grandmother sees it and starts smacking him in the face and telling him that he's a thief and he's just like why did she have to say that so it's just like yeah. there, there's trauma there and he talks afterwards about you know imagining what his life would have been like if he hadn't screwed up and you just wonder mm -hmm. all those things that could like lead you to this place where he's sitting there on death row waiting to lose what last the last of his senses and it's just <gasps> oh my god and he's a lot of this turns out to be framed around the idea of his last meal which he says something interesting and I wonder if this is true so the thing about a last meal is you put in your order for it like three weeks before you're actually going to need to eat it. So by the time the day actually comes, you haven't got any appetite. You're completely numb. So, But it closes out with him just standing at the window and saying, I should have asked them for some ketchup. I wonder if they can run get some. And the door opens. Is it too late? And that's the end. And I was sitting in the theater and very quietly said, 
Jesus. Was <laughs> that like, was amazing what they were able to do with that story. And it was it was several different animators doing each of the different senses. And yeah, I did I, yeah. I've never heard this before and I wonder if this is an actual theory that that humans actually have a hundred different senses, but they're all crowded out by the only five that we actually notice. And that when you die, you suddenly are, it's revealed all the other senses that you've been missing this whole time. And that's what the afterlife is. And I thought, that's nice. I wonder if he's just comforting himself at this point when yeah. he said that. Yeah. Because well, oh, yeah. he even talks about when you die and you're like, you're seeing, you know, like the, the passage through the hallway to the chair where you get your, you know, the, the injection at the end. And he's talking about the order in which your senses leave as you die. Oh, God, I don't oh, understand God. how they managed to have something so bright and folksy and funny and dark at the same time. Yeah. I I will always love a short or a movie or whatever that surprises me. Yes. And I was so surprised. <laughs> I really was. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that one was good. Now the next one was also good and it's the one that I feel is going to win. It's not my favorite. It's not really even my second favorite. But it was extremely well done, I do have to admit. And that was uh, War Is Over? Yes, and it's inspired by the music of John and Yoko. And it tells the story of two people during the war who are playing a game of chess with each other, but they're on opposite sides. It's during World War One. You can see the trenches and everything. Mm-hmm, right. Um, but they're sending a uh, passenger pigeon, carrier pigeon, between them for the actual moves. And I'm sure they have to know that they're on opposite sides, but they're just playing this game. And the, you see all the other soldiers in their unit crowded around them as they try to figure out their next move. So it's just this very friendly bonding moment and then they get caught by a general who smacks him around and sends the passenger pigeon on an actual mission and it's to tell everybody that they're going to be going over the top and it's going to be a big attack and then everybody is attacking each other and the two people who have been playing chess meet up with each other and almost start to kill each other until somebody's pocket gets ripped open and all of the moves that he's been tucking into his pocket, the chess moves, come out. And then they both greet each other. And then they see the passenger pigeon, who, let me tell you, this is such a beautifully expressive pigeon that they were animating. I mean, just so sweet and funny and cute and adorable. And it's flying over the battlefield and it gets hit with shrapnel and dies. Oh, God. And this is, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm literally, I'm getting weepy even thinking about it. Both of them see that happen, and they run over to the pigeon, and they cup it in their hands, and you see the pigeon kind of look at them, and almost like smiles as it's dying, and then it closes its eyes, and they're just so dejected, and then they pull out the last message that it was carrying, and they're just shocked, and they start running up to people and trying to pull them apart, trying to stop everybody from killing each other, waving a right handkerchief around. And then they finally manage to get the message to a general, and the message is, war is over. And then yeah. they manage to spread the word, and you hear War is Over, the music playing uh, with uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono, and it's just, oh, I, you're right, I get choked up just thinking about it. But oh, yeah. Yeah. I have read some reviews of the animations, and one person in particular rated this one the worst because really? that it was the most naive, simplistic version yep. of War. It's like, 
Yeah, war isn't over. We are currently seeing genocide happening in multiple places. And, you know, yeah. and, and the whole idea that, you know, everybody stops fighting because, oh, it was their orders that they were obeying and not years and years of indoctrination. And just, yeah. So it's yeah. very simplistic. It's very saccharine, whatever. Boy, that, that pigeon was cute. Oh, adorable, adorable. But see, that's the thing. In my experience, and I'm going to have to go back and look over the ones that have won over the past few years. Mm-hmm. But since we've been starting to pay attention to the shorts, which, mm-hmm. God, that goes back to like, I don't know, we've been doing this since like 2014, I think. Something like that. It really does seem like the more family friendly it is, mm-hmm. the better chance it has of winning. Yeah. And it's it's also got to have kind of like this... I don't want to say nationalistic, but like I remember a Pixar one that was up several years ago. It's like Sanjay's Heroes and everything, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it was beautifully done. But it's a kid and his father who are you know praying to the various gods at their little altar and everything. And the kid has like this whole thing where he imagines the gods having this big old out and out battle. It's gorgeous. It's not very American, and I felt like that was the reason why it didn't win, which is very cynical of me, but that does seem to be the case. So I kind of think like a story about, oh, you know, two sides, and they all come together, and love saves the day, yay! And then we've got the Beatles playing. I'm like, this seems like it's the one that's going to win. <laughs> Again, I'm cynical, but, well, you know. I'm, I'm even more cynical. I feel like in a slate that didn't have a Pixar movie, the one that's going to win is the closest to the Pixar movie, and this yes. is probably as close as you can get. Yes, yes, unfortunately. I mean, it was good. I don't want to say anything bad about the people who made it, because I thought the music was really brilliant in fact, I'm going to go ahead and make some people very mad. I thought it might have been better if they didn't have the Beatles song because as, as, as soon as it came in, it kind of took me out of the moment. Yeah, a bit on the nose, don't you think, with that final song? But. A bit, just a bit. It was really, really good. I'm just, the cynical part of me just thinks it's like, I think that's probably going to win. It's not bad. I mean, I, I did not hate it, but um, eh, I liked some of the others better. Yeah. Nathan leaned over as soon as that was done, and he said, I was waiting for that pigeon to die the entire time this was going on. <laughs> as soon as you see it's a war story and there's an adorable pigeon, it's like, they're going to get us in the heartstrings, aren't they? Oh, man. But speaking of heartstrings, now, I don't know. The 95 Senses and Pachyderm were beautiful and disturbing and really stuck in my head. But I have to tell you, we already talked about one of the highly commended ones, which was... Hip. Hip, which was not bad. I don't want to say it's bad, but it just didn't reach me at all. But the other highly commended one, oh my God, why did this one not get nominated? Wild Summon. And it is telling the story of Salmon from when they hatch from their eggs to go down to the ocean and then come back to the place where they were born, somehow finding that one stretch of river where they were born to lay their eggs and then die. But the salmon here is all humans that are wearing scuba gear and a great big, you know, scuba diving mask on their faces. And they're like the the one that you follow the closest, the female salmon. Her her mouth is a little wider, I think, than wouldn't be a normal in a human, just to give it that sort yeah. of like unreality feel. But otherwise, it's just all human, and you're watching them go through everything that they go through. I mean, 
when you see like, you know, the salmon, when they hatch, they're at their most vulnerable and they have to hide in the shallows to keep from getting eaten. And you see a bird's gigantic bird's beak coming down and snapping up one of these basically toddlers in scuba gear and pulls it up. And then this little tiny scuba mask goes floating down and there was someone right next to us. Ha! (laughs) <laughs> it was just startling. Yeah, that was. It was. It was. I'm sure it was supposed to be funny at that point, but it's also sure. making you really see things. You know, try to force people to identify more with these fish by making them yeah. look human, and it did yeah. an amazing job at all of it. Exactly, because it's one thing to say, you know, wild animals have a hard life and they might get eaten and all that kind of stuff. This is going into the problems of pollution, it goes into overfishing, it goes into when they do like commercial salmon like farms and everything, and how that can breed disease, which can further wipe out the population, but you're seeing all of this in terms of all these little tiny humans, and it just... Yeah, it's hard. We want to care about animals, but sometimes it's hard to kind of identify. They have literally anthropomorphized the fish. And now I'm sitting here going, oh, oh God, I care about salmon now. Holy cow. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. I mean, they, they had um, the main character, no dialogue except for the narrator no. in all of this. Yep. But the yep. main fish, which is like she gets caught by a scientist and like tagged, which is interesting because mm-hmm. they literally clip a ribbon to the tag on her scuba gear that she's wearing and also the scuba gear changes as they get older which I thought was amazing Mm -hmm. like it was like very simplistic but then it gets more things more details added to it as they get older and then it turns bright red when they're getting ready to die so it's just boy but but you see her get snapped up by commercial fishers and like all of them all of these little people getting pulled up into a net and a fist reaches out and starts grabbing them up and then putting them on a table and chopping their heads off. It was like knife and blood and everything. And another example where the whole audience is going, oh my God, should we be watching this? (laughs) It's really intense. It's super intense. Oh my God. But yeah, one of the hands grabs her but it sees that she's got the tag. And I guess, I don't know. I mean, if a fish is tagged by scientists, do commercial fisheries just throw those back? Because, I don't I, know, because I, that's what they did. I guess it's probably dependent on the fishermen, you know. And mm. there's, who's going to know? If they don't, they could probably just throw the ribbon overboard. No one would know. But the style of it, it's like this, it's CGI, but it's so... Like, it almost has a slightly, like, almost sketchy quality, which makes it look even more realistic. You know, it's definitely not the plasticky kind of, like, sci- uh, uh, CGI. It was really, really gorgeous. Just beautifully shot. And the music was really cool, too. I loved all of it. And it just, it really, really did punch you in the heart. It did. It did, because it ends with the main character dying. So, oh, man. But it yeah. was, yeah, I really liked that one. But it reminds me of a few years ago when they had that Russian one, um, Chirp Chirp, or Cheap Cheap, yes. or something like that. Yep. In both of these cases, I think this is the one that I wonder, why wasn't it nominated? Because I think it could have won, yeah. I think. Yeah, same, same. That's, that's the thing that happens. Sometimes the honorable mentions are better than the ones that are actually nominated. So, But there were a lot of good ones this year. I remember, I want to say it was like five or six or seven years ago, Leland and Jada and I, and possibly one other friend, I can't remember, we went to go see it play in the theater and everything. And it was just such a lackluster year. We were just like, oh, I guess those were fine. 
nice poems. This there were some really good ones this year. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember last year had that one. the The winner was like the boy and the horse and the fox and the mouse or something yeah. like that. There were a lot of people yeah. who were like, really. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's beautiful animation, but it didn't really say anything. Again, it was the family friendly one. That's right. So, that's so I guess that would be why Wild Summon probably didn't get the nomination because everyone was looking and going, nah, that's <laughs> fine. And yet, Pachyderm. Isn't that funny? That's the reason why I think that Pachyderm probably won't win. So this is talking about rape. And I just don't know that the Oscars are going to go to an anime movie talking about rape because I'm really cynical that way. So. Uh, could be. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's, it's isn't it funny, though, because you can get some really dark winners for the actual Oscar Best Picture. But if it's animation, oh, yeah. it's got to be good for kids. Uh, such a shame. Which is why Parasiter and Cigarettes really should have won that year. Should <laughs> have. Really it, it really should mm-hmm. have. Okay, so real quick, because we have been following the story, we wanted to jump in and say there have been some updates about the Hugo Awards debacle, and it just keeps getting worse. So Diane Lacey, one of the people that was on the administration for the Hugo Awards, she released a trove of emails because she has been uncomfortable by this whole process from the very start, and it turns out it doesn't look like the Chinese government stepped in to say who should and should not be included. They were self-censoring based on what they thought was in the book that the Chinese government might have a problem with, because... They even say in one of the emails they didn't read the book. They just saw that there was a lot about China in there, and they figured Chinese government might have a problem with it. That was Babel. I've read Babel. Babel is about China. Like, what they had to suffer under British colonialism is a huge theme in that book. You would have thought the Chinese government would have been happy with something like that, telling it from that point of view. But no, they didn't read it. They just saw China and thought, oh, this is problematic, and they disqualified it. Yep, yep. Even worse... At one point, the emails revealed that they disqualified one guy because he visited Tibet. And of course, China is not very happy with Tibet and all that kind of stuff, so they disqualified it. Turns out he hadn't been to Tibet. He'd been to Nepal, a completely different area that, as far as I know, China doesn't have a problem with. But you know who did go to Tibet? Ursula Vernon, who won the Hugo in her category. It is just stupid. Stupid. Yeah. It was just really dumb shit going on. Yeah, they were looking at the histories and like the social media posts of the people who were involved and trying to figure out who was problematic. Now, I saw something. Okay, because the uh, story that won last year, the short story was Rabbit Test. And the woman who won made an announcement today that, okay, so there's no way to decline a Hugo Award after you've won it. You can't give it back. And we'll talk more and more about whether you even can give one back the physical award this year. But she found out... I think there was a bunch of Chinese language entries that had been nominated by Slate, and I'm not sure how that's involved, but apparently David McCarty, for some reason, saw that and disapproved. So he, like, wiped out a bunch of Chinese, you know, contestants based on that, which is why there was a gigantic gap in the numbers between, like, the winner and the English language ones. 
So she was just like, she's looking at this and she realizes she never should have gotten the nomination. There were so many other people that would have gotten it if they hadn't been arbitrarily gotten rid of. And they were Chinese language writers in China. So you would think this would have been great for some poor person that you were talking about that, how nice it would be to have it not be so anglicized the entire time. So she's having to like get Hugo Award winner removed from all of her promotional materials because she doesn't think it should count now because of that. And I'm just like, how could they possibly screw up this bad? Well, it got worse today because now allegations are coming forward that Dave McCarty is also a sexual harassing asshole. And there was one comment on Blue Sky because these allegations are coming forth and this one person put up a post that says, you know, I, I feel for everybody who's gone through this, but we can't have this type of stuff just going in on the whisper network and in closed, behind closed doors. People have to be open and public about this. And all these other people are like, I have been open and public about it. I have been very loud about the fact that he groped me at this convention. So it's just, you know, it's it's another form of victim blaming, too. It's like, oh, I, f- I feel bad that that happened to you, but you really should have said something. And people are going, I did. So it's just, oh. And it's awful. And David McCarty, of course, is the person who was like, well, I told you what the reasons are. Can't you read, you know, just like the oh. worst type of asshole to handle this kind of situation, even if it wasn't, you know, him was kind of leading the charge on getting people disqualified. But Ursula Vernon has been dealing with some crap on Blue Sky from people who think that she needs to decline or give back the Hugo Award or that she's not doing enough because she won. And now she's like centering her herself in all of this and she's like would you please tell me a way that I could like help without centering myself yeah but she talked about the fact that as far as giving the actual Hugo Award back, she can't because apparently there was a problem when people were packaging the awards and they got damaged in shipment and now they're having to be sent to be repaired. And guess who was responsible for shipping the awards? Dave McCarty. Dave McCarty. And she's wondering if she's even ever going to get it, if this is just some kind of BS excuse that they're just, she's not going to get the physical award ever. Probably not. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that people are jumping up and down on her about this, when she was not the one who was responsible for this happening. And she's, for me personally, she's the reason why I know about any of this because I follow her on Blue Sky and I saw all of her responses about this. She's been digging into it. She's been reposting or I think they're calling it skeeting over on Blue Sky. And oh, it's just, just all of this, yeah, all of this information about everything that's happening. So she's been responsible for shedding so much light on it and she's still got people jumping up and down her. People who like, can we just try and be on each other's side? Like uh, this one white woman who just is just attacking her for really, really nebulous reasons. I mean, the woman thinks that she has, but she's just thinking that Ursula Vernon is being another white woman who's taking things away from Chinese people. And I'm just like, would you stop? She's not. She's really, if she could give it away, she would. But she literally doesn't have the stupid trophy. So uh, it's uh, it's just getting uglier and uglier. Oh, yeah. I mean, she was laughing about the fact that somebody actually compared her to Pontius Pilate because of all that, which <sighs> led to her posting all sorts of sexy uh, pictures of David Bowie as Pontius Pilate and, uh, yeah. and all, all the funny responses. <laughs> is like, he's got better stubble than you. Shepard, it's Bowie. He's got everything better than me. <laughs> uh, because, of course, Ursula Vernon is always going to make things very funny. She but is. I just I get mad to see people attacking her because she's like, she's, but seriously, guys, she's one of the good guys. She really is. Oh, I did like that somebody um, posted a picture. They said that Swarovski has this beautiful eight-pointed crystal that she could attach to the uh, plaque. And I'm like, oh! 
because of an asterisk. Yes, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Oh, man. Anyway, so we've been talking about this for a while. So at this point, I'm like, how can it get any worse? I really I, I'm not know. even sure what it looks like going forward on something like this, yeah. because there's yeah. obviously a systemic problem. And you were the one that told me that, that the word was going around that the only reason why Dave McCarty had so many positions in the convention is because running conventions are awful and he kept signing up for things. Yep. 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 It's just like what you said. It's like uh, HOAs. Yeah. It's like that's that's how HOAs are run. Like, you know, people get the job. They don't campaign for it. They get the job because they agree to do the job. But you would think a multinational convention would have higher standards. I know. It's all volunteer run. So it's, you know, if you're not paying people, it's hard to get them to hold to certain standards. I don't know. It's all just, it's quite the mess at this point. So now everybody's looking forward to Glasgow and hoping that they can actually clear some stuff up. It might help because the software that was being used to count the votes Mm -hmm. is proprietary to guess who? Dave McCarty. So he's a software designer too? I suppose. I don't know. And uh, he won't let anybody see the codes. Well, of course he won't. won't. (laughs) Because transparency, (laughs) if he ever says that he wants to be transparent about things, somebody needs to smack him upside the ear. Oh, God. Oh, God. Anyway, so that's where we are with that. But I guess that's going to wrap us up for the week, so make sure to check out PixLadyGeek.com for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the photo galleries. We still don't know if we're going to WonderCon. Wow, they're waiting pretty yeah. late. What time does, uh, what date does WonderCon usually take place? I think it's like this this year is the last week of March, so oh, it's not like ow. it's around the corner, but we're uh, we're getting there. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go, even if we don't have a press pass, because it's not nearly as expensive as going to Comic-Con, and it's not nearly as hard to get the tickets. I just, I want those press passes, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to wander around with the press thing on your uh, lanyard. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, all that and more, pixeladygeek.com. So next week, two more episodes of Laura Lindis. I think these are going to be pretty powerful ones, just from the preview images on the fast passes. I'm really, I'm I'm, I'm dreading it and I'm looking forward to it because I think anyone who's been complaining about the story not moving forward fast enough, I think the story is going to be rocketing forward at this point. Oh, dear Lord. And we just got a link today from John Scalzi, actually. Nimona, which is one of the animated feature films that's up for an Oscar, it's now available on YouTube for free from the official Netflix account. So, Which is amazing. As of time of this recording, it's still up there. But if you hear this, you might want to run over there because I can't imagine that's going to be there for long. But if you want to watch one of the features for free without having a Netflix account, go, go, go. And we'll, uh, we'll watch that and we'll talk about it and other things that occur to us because we're specific. But one way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk Talk to y'all later.
cat, just stop giving yourself a bath. 